This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Ebron. I'm one of your hosts, Wayne Chang. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Imogen Chinjo. And in this episode, we'll be talking and, oops, we'll be overlooking (laughs) the gnomes of Eberron. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. Welcome back. um, And welcome, new listeners. Hopefully, uh, you're joining us for the first time. Uh, And uh, just a quick reminder, our sponsor, uh, KB Presents, an imprint of Together Studios. And um, yeah, keep hearing from this Keith Baker guy. We're still not sure (laughs) who he is. (laughs) Um, just before we get started, and we'll remind you at the end, we actually do have a kind of a special announcement today. Um, we are going to be live. That's right. You heard me. Uh, we are going to be streaming uh, live from GaryCon uh, on March 27th. And uh, we'll be talking, uh, we'll be taking your questions actually on a special Speaking Stone episode, which will also come out. Um, we'll, also, we'll also have it on the podcast, but. Uh, we'll have that special episode, uh, but you'll get to see us live answering questions. Uh, we'll not be answering questions live. We'll be taking questions uh, and, and going through them. And also, right after that, um, as we've sort of joked on on Discord and whatnot, uh, we are going to not be playing D&D again, uh, <laughs> but we will be playing Eberron uh, with uh, former host and uh, founder of, the sh- of Manifest Zone, Christian Serrano. We'll be running us through Savage Eberron. Um, Imogen, Keith, and I, uh, plus uh, Jen and Ron Blessing, will be uh, playing uh, characters that you've seen before. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, even though I probably have already. Uh, but again, March 27th, you'll be listening to us for about an hour, talking about uh, talking about Manifest Zone. I believe Christian will be joining us then. And then we'll be uh, doing a live episode Um Live AP playing Savage Eberron. So um, now, if you haven't already left and gone, oh my gosh, what are these people doing? <laughs> Let's talk about gnomes. All right. So, a couple references. Obviously, uh, Keith has written uh, several episodes, Dragon Shard and Dragon Mark episodes. Um, Dragon Shards are the the old um, Wizards uh, archive episode uh, archive articles. Um, two actually, specifically on the uh, gnomes of Z- uh, Zalargo. And about four epis- uh, four articles uh, on his website and a few things. And there's even a, a Dragon Magazine article uh, from 407 on Eyes on Eberron talking about the trust, which doesn't exist, I'm sure. Let's get ourselves kicked off and, and started. So the design of gnomes. We know what gnomes are, at least hopefully you, you know a little bit. But how did that play into talking about Eberron? So... Part of it is when we were working on Eberron from the beginning, uh, the whole general idea was to take each race and essentially say, what's interesting about this and how can we work with that in a sort of different way than other settings have? Uh, So I sort of mentioned before that with the elves of Eberron, we said, well, they live such a long time. Like that ought to have an impact on a culture. What do you do there? Uh, Looking at the gnomes, First off, up until Eberron, gnomes didn't really have a very strong role in most settings. They were kind of comic relief. They were kind of in the background. The most sort of uh, dramatic gnomes were the Tinker gnomes from uh, Kryn, and who, again, were basically comic relief. And so gnomes have always sort of been out there, but no one had really made them that interesting. And uh, so first of all, we looked at them. They're small. 
in under 3.5 rules, they're weak. They don't have a high strength, uh, but they do have racial spell-like abilities, prestidigitation, ghost sound. You can speak with burrowing animals, uh, talent for illusion and alchemy. And that was a long running in the previous editions. They've been really good at being illusionists. Like that was a theme. Um, and so part of it was saying, well, let's take the idea that this is a race that wants to avoid physical conflict because they're not strong. They're small, they're weak, but they're smart and clever. And let's play to the idea that they are about outwitting their enemies, that they value knowledge, they value secrets, uh, and that they use illusion and things like that as tools. Uh, so that was sort of a key, the sort of key element there was, a, you know, a, a sort of a culture built around outwitting your enemies. And one of the phrases we had, you know, five words can defeat a thousand swords. And that was very much sort of the gnomes uh, in a nutshell. This also tied to a story I think I probably told before that in previous uh, a previous home campaign i essentially had elves that were incredible jerks and that were sort of more magically advanced than everyone uh but basically had corporations and were just sort of screwing everyone else over and i pulled some of those ideas into the zill of being like oh these are the people who you're just going to end up hating their guts unless you're playing <laughs> one of them uh and they're they're the legal gnomes um but anyone want to jump in on any of that? Um, I mean, you know, my 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 introduction to D anD D was from you know first and second edition, and <clears throat> gnomes were the illusionists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was that big thing, as you know, only elves and half elves and humans could cast spells, could be could be wizards, um, but you could have a gnome illusionist. Mm -hmm. um, quite useless because you couldn't cast evocation spells back then <laughs> <laughs> opposing schools if anybody remembers second edition um but they could be illusionists it was okay then um yeah that was a big that was a big deal um i think the other thing for i think the big thing for alchemy was um gnomes used to have I, and i someone will quote me if i'm, I'm wrong on this obviously <laughs> but they had like the uh, a bonus or something to like checks to smell things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the big nose thing you got to you know you could smell things you, you had a bonus to alchemy or, or whatnot I, I remember that and it was just like he said it, it really played to that comic relief character and you got the floppy thick floppy you know the floppy shoes and everything like that you've got the garden gnome thing like there's there's always that and in fourth edition that changed a little bit right they they made them sharp like you yeah see some of those, was, they, yeah they like they, there was like the spiky hair and and there was this like hard they, they kind of put this like hard edge to them they're monsters and, now, now i'll <laughs> note that that of course follows <laughs> the gnomes of zilargo so i think mm -hmm. you know to me uh essentially ebron jumped in and said hey gnomes can be sort of sharper and scarier uh and uh but nonetheless fourth edition was very much that point of saying how are gnomes more interesting uh but sticking with third you know it is that point of they're illusionists you know what does it mean if you're in a culture where everyone can cast ghost sound or prestidigitation uh and part of it is it means that at a low level the society is going to be more advanced than we're used to that a lot of the services that across the five nations are provided by House Galanda, gnomes can just do. 
you know, so heating, uh, heating and chilling food. Uh, part of the idea is what we've said is one of the most versatile instruments is the Thurmbar rod, which is a focus that lets you uh, expand the power of ghost sound because, well, that's what you develop in a culture in which everybody can do ghost sound. Um, going back to that alchemy thing, we actually noted that was a point that was added into the player's guide to Eberron is the idea that gnomes had essentially a secret language of perfume that scent was a much stronger cultural thing for them because racially they have a stronger sense of smell. And so wearing certain scents was a giving out a message, you know, leave me alone or I'm, you know, uh, you know, sort of what's your mood. Uh, so all of those sort of tied to that basic idea of what makes gnomes interesting? How can we build on those in a meaningful way? If a race has minor illusion as a racial ability, what does that mean? How that then shifted into the culture we built. Part of it was I love that idea of saying everybody thinks of gnomes as comic relief. Let's keep that. They're gnomes. They're delightful. They're cute. They're colorful. And then say, but they are incredibly ruthless uh, you know, sort of potentially brutal killers underneath. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple sort of key things that fed into this. The first is, I will say, when this was coming out, it's about the time the Patriot Act was happening. Uh, and part of it was this fundamental question of how much freedom are people willing to surrender for security? How much are you willing to give up your privacy if it meant that you knew it would make you safer? Uh, this tied to things like both the movie or the story Minority Report. And of course, the funny twist, I don't know if people know Minority Report, but it's a Philip K. Dick story about essentially a culture where you have a police able to precognitively predict crimes and arrest people before they've committed a crime. And the point of it is you are technically arresting people who've never been the lead. Yep. Uh, you've, you're technically arresting people who've never committed a crime, but that also means we're incredibly safe. Is that good? Now, the funny thing, spoiler alert, in the movie, they come out against it. In the book, they actually end up saying, no, no, the system's good. Uh, and, and this was sort of the idea <laughs> of saying that Zalargo is a place where they're like, no, that's okay. We are perfectly happy to preemptively assassinate people who have committed no crime if it keeps them from committing a crime. Um, and and, that's, and that, so, that's that really good. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just going to say that no. that's... Um, you know, that's that key nugget of gnomes aren't human. Um, right. That I, I think is, is the, 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 you know, the theme that you build all that on, you know, because, you know, as, as humans, we would never in our wildest dreams imagine that that kind of system is a good thing. But, you know, you're trying to put yourself into those shoes. Actually, okay, right. Those need to laugh little floppy shoes. <laughs> but, um, and, but yeah, it's, it's, it's alien. It's weird. And, and that's exactly it. Is that's a critical part for the trust that you have to to accept that call down in a lot of these articles is to remember these are not humans, and that part of what we're saying is we can't imagine a thing like this because we can't imagine it actually working. And what we're saying is they do trust the trust. They don't see the trust as an oppressive force. They truly do believe this is working for our greater good, and essentially they are willing to sacrifice. Uh, privacy for security, you know, but the whole idea of it is to say that it's one of these things that you can objectively look at and say, oh, great, they have no crime, they have no whatever. But again, that for us, 
it's supposed to be horrifying. It's supposed to be this terrifying sort of absolute big brother state, but then saying, but what if it was cheerful and colorful and happy instead (laughs) of, yes, it's a boot stamping on your face forever, but it's a jingly boot and it's very soft and colorful. (laughs) And, um, And so it is supposed to be this sort of bizarrely alien culture where they've accepted essentially the minority report idea that there is a force in their world that is as close to omniscient as they can make it that will preemptively act to prevent crimes. Now, it does come out, we have described that they will just assassinate you. One of the things is that's overstating a little. We call it a bunch of times. I mean, they'll do other things first. Like the whole classic trust moment to me is adventurers are sitting in the tavern and one of them says, uh, okay, so we're going to rob the bank or whatever it is we're going to do. We're going to knock down Lord such and such's door so we can get the magic sword that you should, they should just suddenly hear a whisper, just say, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and it's just that point of, you don't know, someone's using subtle ghost sound on you. And, and the whole point is, you don't know, is it the innkeeper? Is it the guy over there? You know, you don't know, but it's just someone saying the trust is watching you and you really don't want to go down this road. That, you know, they shouldn't have to uh, preemptively assassinate players and such as long as players aren't idiots. You know, they'll try and just keep you on the proper path. Um, nonetheless, just coming back to, you know, sort of we're going down into to later paths, just the concept of the culture was built on those things. This is a culture where people value knowledge and secrets, where they are willing to uh, accept a force that has the power of judge, jury, and executioner and is allowed to preemptively act that essentially there is no, you can't question the trust. You have no recourse. You have no, you know, you don't even know who's in it, Uh, but they trust it. That then further spun off the idea that they are very much about knowledge. They they value secrets. Uh, The library of Korenberg, which we basically said from the start when we were designing Eberron, well, somewhere is the greatest library in Corvair. And we're like, well, it's going to be the gnomes. You know, that they just value acquiring knowledge, all knowledge, as much as they can. Um, And then the second thing was we gave them elemental binding and saying that they are, they possess certain, you know, these certain techniques in part tied to the idea of alchemy that uh, that this was supposed to go into there, well, they're some of the best alchemists. So we're like, well, let's give them, they have ways of binding elementals that nobody else has. And that is part of what makes Zilargo relevant as a nation. Mm-hmm. That yes, they've got this weird culture. Yes, they have a lot of knowledge, but they also have this important cornerstone of arcane industry that is a sort of national state secret that they, they jealously hold on to. Uh, because this is what makes them relevant. You know, they're a small, peaceful nation, but they have this very valuable thing that makes them important to the rest of the world. I've always found that really interesting because I could never see the the logical, maybe not the logical, I could never see the bind that came from, <clears throat> you've got the trust, you've got knowledge, you've got house civis, and all of a sudden, you have elemental binding. It almost seemed out of place um, in that. Now, obviously, we're talking about it and right. being 15, 16 years older <laughs> than that, understanding that to give that had to give them some sort of 
you got to give them some sort. Every nation has some sort of edge. Right. What was the edge that that made them relevant? Right. And and again, it was sort of playing off the idea of alchemy and saying we don't actually want them to make uh, like gunpowder weapons. Like that would have been another way to go was to say they're doing something with alchemy. And instead, it was sort of playing more Philosopher's Stone, but it was the idea that they have these unique techniques. Uh, and part of it also came from the idea that they were explorers, that the gnomes being the most sort of keen to acquire information was that they were very avid explorers. And again, uh, elemental binding was a technique they picked up the core concepts of from Zendrick. Now, the point is they aren't supposed to have just literally walked into Zendrick, picked up a book that said, here's elemental binding. This is how you do it and walked out with it. But they were able to sort of make core discoveries that enabled them to develop their unique path of doing it because of exploring older cultures in Zendrick. So um, do you imagine that the, um, the, the, the gnomes would have not necessarily turned up with the Sulatar, who are the, you know, the drow that is so famous for their elemental binding. It's not that they stole a fire sled from them, took it back to Salago and reverse engineered it, but that they, you know, they could see it and learn it and just pick, you know, do it. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's both. I think they definitely yeah. did take a fire sled. But what I'm saying is the point is that a fire sled is not an airship. Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah. basically the Zill do things that the Sulatar can't, and the Sulatar have been doing it for thousands of years. And so that's the sort of key point to me is they aren't doing the same thing the Sulatar are doing, but they were inspired by what the Sulatar are doing, and then they made their own breakthroughs on top of it. Uh, and, and that's the key thing is that it comes up a lot of times people are like, it seems like all the, all the good magic sort of comes from the past. And the point is, no, no, Zill binding is supposed to be a unique technique it's inspired by the past but they have actually improved upon what the sulatar are currently capable of mm-hmm. um so anyhow that's the thing and the other thing of course that zil has is uh the gnomes have house civis which is the house of scribing it both is important because they do all the notarizing they do all the record keeping uh but also they handle communications they handle the they operate the speaking stones that uh essentially are the telegraph system of um corvair and so that again those are the two things that you know going back to your point wayne of well what makes them relevant as a nation communication and uh elemental binding and so they very much are supposed to be in that sort of realm of like a Sweden or a Saudi Arabia or Switzerland, excuse me, of a country that is largely a peaceful, neutral country and yet wields influence because of these sort of important pieces, mm-hmm. you know, economic pieces it has. Why don't we break down, <clears throat> why don't we break down gnomes in general? So. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked a lot about Zalargo and, and, and that, but that's not all the gnomes we've got on Eberron. That's correct. <laughs> so, and, and we've kind of gone over a little bit, but let's, let's, so we've talked a little about Zalargo. We've talked about uh, those kind of things, but let's break it down a little bit more um, into the major groups. And as a DM, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to be using gnomes, it'd be good to know which groups you're going to be kind of throwing at your players, mm-hmm. right? So we started with Zalargo. We talked about the trust and, um, We'll probably talk a little about a little bit uh, the more a little bit. We talked about the elemental binding. We talked about the knowledge, uh, the Kornberg, uh, the library of Kornberg, that kind of things. But let's go back to the 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 trust just for a moment. I mean, 
again, we've mentioned that we've just said this is an, for back, lack of a better word, it's an alien society. You know, this is a society that's decided that we are okay with you watching us. You're okay with us being in our brains, you know, random detect thoughts maybe is one of those things. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you know, how did the trust form? Because that's a major part. That's that's practically the government behind the government, right? How did that form? And basically, that's actually covered in one of the articles that we've linked to. And it is this whole idea that it essentially originally started as essentially the sort of honor guard in the Library of Korenberg, that it's the the sort of making sure people are following the rules and just sort of expanded that principle to say, uh, you know, basically we need part of it is the gnomes are leaned towards intrigue. The gnomes love cunning and schemes and feuds and essentially saying we just need someone to referee this all and essentially to make sure that uh, we, you know, sort of we are secure as a nation. Um, and also tied to that, you know, part of it is they value their unity because that is what makes, you know, in their opinion, keeps them safe, uh, is their strength in numbers. But definitely, if you look at uh, some of the articles that have been linked, there's a whole thing on the sort of origin of the trust. Uh, to me, part of what comes to it is that question is a DM is what is it to give you? Why is the trust useful? What do you want to do with it? And the idea of the trust to me is it is one of the most efficient espionage organizations in Corvair. Uh, you know, part of it is literally the idea we've said is that one in three people in Zalargo works for the trust. And most of those are just people who just pass information and they don't even know who they're passing it to. Uh, but it's still that idea that they just have a vast amount of resources. Like when you compare it to just say the King Citadel, they both have more resources and less oversight, you know, that they are, uh, you know, have extreme power. But then the idea of the trust is really all it cares about is protecting Zabargo. So they are not trying to take over the world. They don't want to, you know, run, get the crown of Galifar or something like that. So the idea of the trust is that it's this incredibly uh, effective, efficient spy network that can enter into the game at any point, but that they aren't actually trying to sort of make their nation the most powerful. They're just trying to protect it. So that is a point of they can be very useful. We're going to pass this information on to the players uh, because they don't essentially have that same ulterior motive. They aren't working for the Lords of Dust. They aren't doing, you know, whatever. Um, but they're also not going to tell you their motives or they're not going to, you know, it's just like they are they are a potential group that the point is they aren't aligned with Andere or Brayland or anything like that. And so they can be the sort of efficient but almost neutral force. I think that's kind of a Any good contrast um, between, say, if you're doing a campaign with the Dark Lanterns or the Royal Eyes or something, there's always that... Uh, sort of temptation especially with any kind of noir intrigue game of uh pulling the 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 betrayal or the you, you know the kind of very human vice in all of that but with the trust i think you mm -hmm. get a lot more out of it if you 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 know you you don't pull any of that you just play it completely straight um 
So as much as the temptation might be to be, aha, it was a trick all along. You know, we were just uh, getting this information to sell on to XYZ. Um, The trust is, you know, they they don't want the information to sell. They want the information to to use for for the good of the nation, as it were. Um, And it it works out in, you know, horrible ways. But the, you know, as far as (laughs) they're concerned, the ends justify the means. And the means are they end up being well no the 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 ends end up being a good thing um perhaps I don't know. so i mean it's definitely they're going to act to protect for example elemental binding like if you mm-hmm. want to use the trust as an enemy this is where if someone's trying to you know house kenneth is trying to steal elemental binding secrets or something that's where the trust is definitely going to be an enemy but as i say when it just comes down to hey someone's going to pass you a note that points out that someone is a Lord of Dust spy. Or when it comes to a player character having a connection to an intelligence agency, uh, in many ways, if you're playing a gnome and you work for the trust, that's one of the easiest ones to do because, again, the trust doesn't really care about most of what's going on. Sure, you're passing them information. Occasionally, they'll pass you information. But it's not the same as being a Dark Lantern and suddenly when you're in Ondaer, they're going to be like, oh, we want you to, you know, stab Arala in the back or, you know, somehow cripple their weapons uh, program or something like that. That the trust is primarily a force for observation. They are gathering information and they're really good at it, but they are less sort of dramatically active when it comes into things like the Cold War than the Royal Eyes, the, the King's Citadel, or even House Durrani. So, To me, they do have a significant value as this force that this is a source of information if you want to pass something along. And the question would just be, why does it, how does it help Zilargo for them to help you? Um, I suppose that that it it kind of brings up another question that I wonder about in in terms of if you're DMing a campaign that's set in Zilargo, how do bad things happen? <laughs> it's really hard. But this mm. is this is very much, and I'll say again, because we could go on about this for hours. This is a topic that's specifically discussed in uh, the recent articles. I think it's an article called Whose Trust is the Trust? It's the IFAC on the trust. Mm-hmm. And one of the specific points about that is how do you have adventures in Largo? And part of the point is you just need to get around that idea that you can't do things the same way you would in uh other places and that doesn't mean you can't do them you just have to figure out the rules of the game and this comes back to the fact that the gnomes love intrigue and this is something we talk about a lot of that i think it's even in rising i think there's even a table of like random table of here's the schemes your gnome might be engaged in and part of the idea of that is they love schemes they love uh sort of feuds and the trust is a hundred percent okay with that as long as you don't hurt the nation so like what they're saying is like oh you could totally be scheming back and forth between three families trying to control the jewel mine as long as they don't actually break the law to do it or sell the mine to someone out of country because now you've actually sort of hurt the nation by doing it. But otherwise, blackmail? Sure, everybody loves blackmail. Like, you know, like intrigue is something they perceive as this is part of our national character. This is just being quick-witted. And so uh, you can definitely scheme in Zalargo. You just have to remember that these are the very specific lines you don't cross. You don't just murder someone in the street. 
you know, or basically you can't just be murder hobos that kick down the door <laughs> and take their stuff. That doesn't fly there. Now the blackmail them into letting you into their home and then give them a bad deal to get their stuff. That works fine. It's mm-hmm. just that idea that this is a place where you have to change how you approach things and you can't just be the nice at the dinner table. Um, but so, layered, so layered on top of this, you've got House Civis. Yes. Now, there's nobody that doesn't believe that people in House Civis are part of the trust. But for this supposedly neutral party, yes, why the mark of why the mark of scribing for the gnomes? Well, again, one of the things about it is that the marks weren't specifically assigned based on this is the most logical thing for the race. Like a lot of people are like, well, shouldn't dwarves have making? And it's like, yeah, traditionally dwarves make stuff, but then it's more interesting to say, well, you know, let's give them something different. Uh, But with gnomes in particular, it is because that whole idea that they are about words, they are about talking their way through problems, they are about, you know, sort of language and cleverness. And that uh, that's what Civis gives them, is Civis gives them control of communication. Now, part of the thing we've always stressed, though, is part of that point is that Civis does have to maintain a reputation for being trustworthy. That, you know, if as soon as it starts coming out that, oh yeah, they just sell your secrets to everybody, then nobody's going to trust using a speaking stone. And so Civis is another of those a little like the trust itself, that thing of we're like, oh, but they could do so much stuff with all that knowledge. And it's saying, well, yeah, except generally they don't. Maybe they're aligned with the trust, but if so, you know, not so much that we've been able to prove it. Um, that also goes to, you know, the other two sort of main points we've discussed, the Korenberg Chronicle and the Library of Korenberg. Uh, the Korenberg Chronicle is supposed to essentially be the most reliable newspaper that essentially uh, the Sharn, uh, you know, Sharn Inquisitive is a little more of a sort of tabloidy rag and, and don't get me started on the five voices. <laughs> uh, whereas the Korenberg Chronicle is supposed to be, this is the news that we actually believe. You know, and these, and that this is an easy path for a player character uh, to be. I'm a, I'm a chronicler, just digging up stuff that I report back to the Kornberg Chronicle, or also just for an NPC who's like always poking around, being like, "Okay, you play a characters, you seem newsworthy. I'm following you around, you know." Or let me give you a tip because I want to see where this story goes. And it's back again to that idea of them as a largely neutral country that they don't have the same nationalistic stance as the five nations who are all going to be promoting their nation first. And the idea is the Korenberg Chronicle is just here for the facts, Um, as opposed to all that fake news in the five voices, (laughs) uh, which has become much more painful. And I will say that uh, the five voices did appear well before, uh, you know, back in like 2010 or something like that, before all our fake news stuff. Uh, started yeah. becoming a threat. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, that is the point. And then the Library of Korenberg is also supposed to be, this is the most sort of significant so, uh, sort of source of general knowledge. That Arconics is a greater focus on arcane science, but that if you're just trying to find some particular old tome or some particular random fact, the Library of Korenberg is uh, the ultimate, you know, destination. So, 
we've talked about, you know, this is this is what most people will see when you go to Ebron and, and see gnomes, but gnomes had a, a different side, um, mm-hmm. especially in fourth edition. Mm-hmm. Um, gnomes were, and I think we've kind of that was kind of brought into Ebron as well. With they had this kind of fey background. Same with the elves; they had that kind of fey um, origin. I think that's probably the best word to use that. And you've explored that a little bit in some of your articles and and uh and from the Pius Pyreal. Am I spelling I don't I know. I say Pyreal, but you know, you can say it however you want. <laughs> Pyreal. Well, we'll, no we'll, we'll see we'll see if we'll see if Keith's phone activates when he says yes. that. <laughs> uh yeah, well this is the thing. Is is so fourth edition, you know, when editions change, you have to adapt somewhat. Fourth edition decided to make the gnomes more fey. Uh they actually had the fey subtype. Uh, and to say that they were actually from the Feywild. And uh, in Eberron, the Feywild sort of as analogous to Delanus. Um, and fourth edition, we also introduced the concept of the Fey Spires, which are cities from uh, Thelanus that shift back and forth between uh, Eberron and Thelanus. Now with fifth edition, with Rising, we've sort of backtracked a bit and essentially what we've said is some people think that gnomes came from Thelanus. Other people think, no, it's the other way around. Gnomes went into Thelanus through Pylus Perial uh, and sort of became more fey. That, you know, there's some degree of back and forth. And I have the article on Pylus Perial, which talks about this a bit and says, essentially, you have these fey gnomes. And it's a bit of a chicken and egg did they come first and the normal gnomes leaving Thelanus became more mundane? Or is it that the gnomes who entered into it through Pylus Perial became more fey over the course of generations? But it is the case that Pylus Perial is one of the fey spires. It is a city in Zalargo. Uh, but by default, the idea of it is it's basically Brigadoon. It only appears in Zalargo once every year for a couple of days or even longer. And uh, that it is this sort of miraculous, magical place, um, but where, where you get a little touch of fey in the world. And as a location, as Game Master, it's this is a cool destination. As I say, there's a whole article about it and what makes it cool, but this is a chance for players to essentially step into Thelanus without having to have any kind of planar travel. And to have commerce, it's a bright, cheerful, it's the citadel of joy. You know, it's just a fun party town. Um, it is also a chance to have that kind of character or NPC if you want that gnome who he's not part of this nation of, you know, of spies, this minority report thing. He's just a fun fae trickster, you know, like that archetype, the, the fae warlock, the whatever. Pylos Perial is a great place for that, of just saying, I have stepped out of the Feywild and I'm wandering around uh, this country and boy, you people are all super boring here. Uh, one of the things we've discussed in particular, and I played a character like this in a campaign a, a couple of years ago, uh, is the idea also that if you play artificers from Pylos Perial, that they can use what we call magical thinking and exploring Eberron. You know, this idea of they don't work with the arcane science we're used to. They work with fey logic. You know, the I'm going to sew the the shadow of a cat onto this cloak to make a uh, elven cloak. Because why wouldn't you? That works. 
And, and so it's a fun chance, again, to just sort of say, I'm going to play with these more traditional fairy tale elements as part of my character, because I'm not from the real world. I've literally stepped out of a fairy tale uh, and stumbled into it. And um, the Pybus Imperial Dragon Mark does go into a lot more detail about different storylines you can do with that, the history of the city and things like that. So it's sort of you're taking, you know, where the Library of Korenberg is about leaning into how gnomes love information or the trust is leaning into how gnomes, you know, what kind of arises from society where you have gnomes who are, you know, they have illusions or ghost sounds and so on and so on. The sort of the Pylas Periel is what you get if you apply those kind of Eberron, how do we lean into the mechanics of this into that comic relief side of, of the gnomes, right? It's uh, it's the, the kind of in-world logical extension of the, the sort of the silly fae gnome who is always happy to see you. Um, it, it, that's exactly right. Is that That's the point, is that the classic Zell gnome is cheerful, but they are always up to something. They've always got an angle. They're mm. always taking notes. They're always looking for information. The Imperial Gnome is where you get to say, I just, you know, I love everybody. I'm here for fun. <laughs> uh, you know, and and it is the I am literally an agent of joy. Uh, that also ties to then the another uh, gnome culture that only has come out recently of basically we'd said all along that one of the islands of the Lazar principalities, Lorgalen, uh, was a gnome principality, you know, a gnomish principality, but never really talked much about it. What does that mean? How did it get there? And that's something that I developed last year in a Dragon Mark article went to more detail about that. And part of the idea there was coming back to the concept that we've established that when the trust took power, the trust basically was one of these things where they nailed up pamphlets. Like suddenly there's pamphlets everywhere saying, by the way, we're the trust and we're going we're gonna to keep you safe now. Trust us. And the point is, most people did. Most people embrace that, but not everybody was going to. There were people who were like, are you crazy? We're not letting, you know, Big Brother suddenly take things over. And they left. Um, uh, a couple places they went to didn't work out so well. Some of them went to the Shadow Marches and mysteriously vanished. Some of them went to uh, Zendrik, where they were swept away by the Darash Katal. Uh, but then you have others who went to Lorgalon. And uh, the idea there is in many ways, they are the reverse of uh, Zilargo in that they have come around and said, the key to success is for us to be completely open and honest with each other. Like we do not keep secrets, you know, that we have to have a society where we are, we, we all trust each other without having a secret shadowy force. That's keeping things in line. Uh, the other thing about Lorgalin that is sort of a key defining aspect of it is the idea is, is uh, across Eberron, you see cultures based on a concept. Eberron, you know, the five nations are wide magic. Sarlona is wide psionic. Uh, the basic idea of Lorgalin was wide primal. That this is, let's take the idea that said they already had some work with elemental binding. And Lorgalon itself is in Manifest Zones closely tied to Lamania. 
uh, and basically saying, so they have taken that and they have made elementals sort of the core engine of their civilization, but they've done it in this completely different way from Zilargo where they aren't binding the elementals. They are actually working with them and bargaining with them and convincing them to help them. And so it's this idea of they're this actual fairly powerful force in the Lazar principalities because literally they will launch cannonballs at you that are earth elementals <laughs> and that will then just zoom around and smash your ship to pieces. And they actually, their ships, instead of uh, it being the case that that they bind an elemental to it, it's just that, oh, no, they just have a water elemental who's just pushing their ship along. Um, and... And that, again, was just taking that idea of, I want to play a gnome, I like messing with elementals, but I don't want to be part of this super secret, you know, Big Brother conspiracy thing. Well, play a Lorgalen gnome, and and both it's a different sort of, this is a chance to play these sort of druid bard things, but also to say, I believe in honesty, I believe in, you know, let's let's all be very open and trusting with one another. Uh, so it's just a sort of different approach there. Well, I mean, that kind of gets us into our next topic, which is talking about playing a gnome. Now, we've gotten some background about that, but we've basically talked about, you know, four, maybe five different types of gnomes. We'll talk maybe about the gnomes not in Zerlargo yeah. when we're talking about role-playing. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll be honest, I've, I've, I've not played a gnome, I don't think, in D&D ever. <laughs> uh, and definitely not an Everon. <laughs> so, no, I... I um, um, gnomes are evil. Uh, I had a DM who uh, who played gnomes. Gnomes quite evil. Um, they are, are evil. Can't we are, argue. We are now. We are now. Um, n- now it's uh, there's a kill on site order. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about let's all talk about playing now because we've got the background. But there's obviously we've we've mixed in talking about stuff with characteristics and right. and fun little things. Um, but instead of going in as a comedy relief, what are we actually looking at when we're playing a gnome? Uh, so one of the things is, as you said, it depends very much where you're from. Uh, one of the core points is that gnomes in, you know, on dare are just on Darians. You know, this is one of the things we said in Eberron from the start of that. Actually, we don't have monocultures, uh, that nationality can trump species. And so if you're just playing a gnome from the five nations, Take your cues from the five nations, unless you want to say, well, I am specifically a Zill immigrant, and I still maintain my ties to Zilargo. And especially in Brayland, which is right next door, that is a valid path, is to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Braylish gnome, but I still have all my family in Zilargo, and I'm still working for the trust, even though I'm out here. Uh, that's a valid path. And that's a key question of, am I, am I from the Five Nations or am I a Zill gnome at heart? One of the ways we reflect that is through names. So we established early on that the Zill have a very specific naming convention, which is three names. It's a uh, personal name, family name, house name. Uh, and part of this is the idea that how Sivis essentially sort of laid the framework that was then adopted by the other Dragon Mart houses, that they you know helped sort of shape that. So houses have always been an important concept in Slargo, with each house being made up of an alliance of families. Uh, so this is the point. If you're Alina, Lord, and Lyris, then that's Alina of House Lyris, the Lord in family specifically. And uh, part of the idea is that family is intensely important 
to Zilargo that in a society where there's so much intrigue, you have to have the people you rely on. And that also betrayal within a family is a huge, uh, you know, bitter crime because in Zilargo, you should be able to rely on your family. Like those are the people you can trust. Um, it's just that much harder to keep secrets from your family as well. Yes. So, you know, if you live with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so part of the point is if you're playing a Zill gnome, you ought, to, you ought to have three names. And you ought to think a bit with your, your DM about, well, what, what, you know, how's my family fit into things? So it's my relationship with my family. Are they going to ask me to do things? Because, you know, favors are a big deal. On the other hand, if you're just a random, you know, uh, I was, you know, playing that gnome artificer in uh, um, Calistan. And I think I, in fact, called my character Rusty. I think it was before Rusty. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was just Rusty because I'm not as ill. I don't have those things. So that's sort of part of that point of reflecting of, of if you're playing a character with ties to Zilargo, what's your family? What's your connection? Why aren't you in Zilargo? If you're not, then again, you're, you know, you're Braylish, you're Ondarian, you're whatever, and go with that. Well, what about House Civis then? I mean, that's a completely different matter. And like you said, they established this house system so a lot of things that I'm sure the barons and all that stuff was established by how Civis did how Civis yep. did it. Yep. And and so Civis and I will actually step back a moment and say going back to the Zill gnome that is that other question of the thing you want to work out with your game master is are you affiliated with trust? And you don't have to be. Only one in three gnomes is. Most of those one in three gnomes, it is very simple. They just pass information. You have a contact. You share information with them. Maybe they will ask you to do things. And so being part of the trust doesn't mean you necessarily have to be a traitor to your party or you have to be up to some kind of insidious schemes. It could just be you're sharing knowledge and occasionally they share knowledge with you. Or it could be, especially if you take, say, the spy background, uh, maybe you are a more active agent of the trust. And they are actually giving you missions. So going to House Civis, House Civis has a lot of the same issues as any Dragon Mark house, you know, but even more so, you know, House Civis is, uh, Zilargo already takes family very seriously and values intrigue. Uh, Civis is, is going to sort of build on that. If you're part of House Civis, they really want you to be part of House Civis. You know, they're going to want you to, you know, be... Uh, working for the house in some way, uh, or also just part of various schemes. We've talked a lot. If you read Dragon Mark, there's a bunch of things about like titles are very important, and they have all these different titles that you know. I want to be bearer of the fourteenth word. Well, how do you do that? Uh, well, you gotta you gotta beat the bearer of the you know the current bearer of the fourteenth word in you know a game of Scrabble, you know, or something like that. <laughs> like you know, it's it's a tool that the game destroyed. master the game master can use to say who are your rivals. And again, because it's a Largo, rivals are not to the death. Nobody, you know, the trust is going to get you. But if you're just scheming, that's just good fun. <laughs> um, so Civis to me is actually one of the nicer houses. You know, it comes back to that. They are trying to provide a solid foundational service and they may be secretly working with the trust, but if so, they're secret about it. So compared to like Kenneth or Thrashk, who are very aspirational, trying to be bigger, all of that, to me, Civis is one of those houses you largely can trust. You know, they they have their fun little schemes, but 
again, they don't really cross the line. So I, I usually see them as, as one of the sort of, again, houses you could work with. The, the trustworthy houses. Just, <laughs> we've been punning we've been pun, we've been pun yes. the entire time today. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think um, um, so a sort of, uh, you know, in, in terms of kind of how you as a player are expressing your civisness or expressing your zilago-ness, um, I think, you know, there are a few things you can do. And I think one of the easiest things you can do is be the note taker at the table. Um, especially if, if you're a civis, if you have a Marcus Scribing and kind of that story writes itself. Um, if you're a member of the trust, you're writing down everyone's secrets, you're writing down your own maybe as well, I don't know. But, you know, even as, you, as, as you're, um, you know, going on your adventures with your party and stuff, uh, whether it's for the trust, whether it's for house service, whether it's for the library of Korenberg, whether it's for the Korenberg Chronicle, you want to know things and you need a record of the things you know. And yes. that's your currency as a gnome in Corvair. So write it down. Just yep. all of and, it. And, and I think that's a that's a critical point that you hit on is, is it's also, it's not just taking the notes. It's that gnomes want to know things. Mm. That it is, and on the surface that comes across, it's just, we're curious. We want to know, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? But that the practical point of that is we are gathering as much information as possible because someday it will be useful. And so as a gnome character, the gnome is the great person to just be like, well, you know, when the game master is like, I don't know how to get players into this scenario. The gnome's the one who's going to be like, well, is there something we can find out? What's going on? That seems interesting. Let's, you know, there's a mystery. Let's look into that. Uh, like gnomes should always be interested in following up or finding out more. And so that's definitely uh, a thing you can play with. I'll say in Threshold, the campaign uh, that... Uh, you know, running with KDPP. Uh, the Civis Gnome is basically the stone speaker of the town, the person who operates the telegraph operator, except that the telegraph isn't working right now. They're having trouble with their speaking stone. Uh, but part of the point is the way that character is described is as essentially she's sort of the everybody's grandmother. <laughs> and that, that she's just always wants to hear about your problems and how are you doing? And, you know, uh, come on over for tea and let's talk things over. Uh, and, and that's sort of the general sort of point of gnomes is they want, you know, they, they want to talk about your problems until they eventually blackmail you with them, you know, like yeah. they're helpful until, until the secret comes back to bite yeah. you. They want to know about how your mother is doing so that they can learn her name, her maiden name. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and your first pet's name. I know your password. Exactly. You know, your password exactly. reminders. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've already sort of talked about the, the value of playing other types of gnomes. So that, again, comes back to the Imperial gnome is that uh, that chance to play the character. So, you know, basically you can play the character who's the Zill character. If you're going to be a Zill, it should be because you want to get into family intrigues. You want to have connections to these things. If you don't, just play an Ondarian gnome. You know, just play a, a member of the Five Nations, and that's just fine. Like, if you're just looking for, I just want these sweet gnome stats, you know, abilities. Uh, you can just be from the Five Nations, then that's fine. Imperial uh, gnomes get you that I want to be someone who's sort of dropped out of uh, the Feywild and doesn't quite get how all your your rules and 
Moz and things like that work. And I'm just here with Fey magic to, to, you know, be a, a wild card, uh, as it were. And the artificer I played was the idea of it, they were an urchin who was an orphan from Puriel. And it was mainly just that idea of playing, I'm the artificer who makes weird stuff out of garbage that just shouldn't work. <laughs> and yet somehow it does. Um, and going to Lorgolan, you have that, it's a different approach to things like playing a druid or a bard. Uh, and, you know, it has that essentially, I'm a, I'm a character from a, you know, there's almost a little bit of a Wakanda vibe of I'm from this small island almost no one has heard of that actually has a lot of really cool stuff going on. Uh, and you get to sort of be like, you know, boy, you people sure seem to have messed up your five nations out here. You know, what are you doing? Yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. I mean, uh, anybody else? Any any last words on the gnomes? Um, I think there, there was just one thing I thought, you know, I was uh, looking through some of the research for this one. The sidebar in Races of Eberron, um, yes. role-playing a gnome, I thought, you know, more than some of the other sources, has a has a really good, very small few paragraphs uh, that really nails some of the the themes for role playing names. Um, Do you and, happen to have access to it? I I wrote it, but of course I wrote it fourteen <laughs> years ago, so it's um, not uh, it's on top of my head. So hit us hit us with some key tips oh, from some guy about playing some gnomes. guy. No, I mean it, it touches on a lot of a lot of what we've been talking about during the podcast. Um, you know things like note taking, things about planning. But one of the things, like the pieces of advice that stood out to me in there, was to remember that. Even as you're planning all the scheming and all this, you know, secret taking, that doesn't prevent you from being good or altruistic. Um, And to keep in the back of your mind that, you know, if you want to, you can play and you should play if you want to, a heroic, good Zilagan character. And you you shouldn't feel bad about recording everyone's secrets while doing that because that's just... Right. You know, it works. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think that's really uh, a really important point and, and pretty much good to end on. Uh, but I'll just add to that, that that is the whole idea that the gnomes just recognize that knowledge is power. Mm. And again, that doesn't mean you can't use it for good cause. Uh, it's just that they're more always going to be more about uh, also insight, persuasion, you know, basically, can we talk our way? through a situation instead of just trying to kick in the door and hit something. Well, I think that wraps up our episode um, this week. And uh, yeah, Imogen, you want to take us out then? Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, Be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to the show, post comments on an episode or, you know, leave reviews on there or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Let us know what you think. We're always listening. Um, Just like the trust. Um, (laughs) Join us next time. As Wayne said at the start, we'll be live at Gary Khan um, on the 27th of March, uh, where we'll be taking your questions for the live speaking zone. So until then, keep exploring.